You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Thanks for joining us for this sermon series, Back to Basics. Every year, we want to go back, because here's the deal. There's lots of people that come in and out of our doors, and there's lots of different ways for people to jump in and get connected in our church. We never want to forget what we're about, and that's important for us. And so this year especially, one of the things that I think is just... I don't know, the Lord's really moving in my own life just to just strip all the crap away and just what is, what is it that we're really about? And um, so there's no, there's, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to tackle some of that. And I want to say this, I'm excited about some of the things that our church is being able to be a part of in meeting legitimate, tangible needs in our community that are hard. And, and so I, I can't wait to share those with you. Some of those things have to fall, they have to fall in a proper order. But here's what I will say. There was, um, this maybe two, three months ago, maybe, I don't know, maybe longer. Uh, I got up here and I shared that I was really convicted personally that we as a church need to do more and do better with those who have suffered from abuse. And um, I feel like the church ought to be the primary place where those who feel like they've had their voice taken can get it back. Because that's the message of Jesus, right? Uh, and so I feel convicted by that. We have not done a good job and we're going to fix it. Well, some people got motivated and shared it on Facebook, which is always, it's always real interesting to follow those threads because I can blindly just read what people are saying. And there are some people who had some venom for that, and rightly so. The church has earned that. Um, But they were like, it's all rhetoric, it's all talk, it's all show and no go. You you have heard the wind blow before, blah, 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 whatever. Um, We are sticking it to the critics. So I'm just telling you, um, I'm excited about being able to be a part of the things that our church has going on down the pike. By the way, next week, uh, on a somewhat but not necessarily related topic, we have some pretty important announcement to make about some ways for us as a church to be tangibly ministering in the community. So I really want you to be here to be a part of that. Um, I'm excited. I'm just, I'm really, I feel like our church is on target with God's heart. And anytime we do that, that is a good thing. That's a good thing. And it takes us into some pretty scary, crazy places. I'm just super excited about it. Like, let's go be scary and crazy. It could colossally flop, but it will be awesome. It will burn in spectacular fashion. So let's go. All right. So we're going uh, to jump into this series. If we're going to do a two-week series on vision, there's really only one verse for us to begin that with. And so uh, I want to do that. We're going to jump into Matthew 22 here. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus answers him with the daily prayer that every Jew says every morning and every night, seven days a week, 365 days a year. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the foundational. What's the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is the prayer that you pray every day. But, second one's like it. Okay, that's weird. How many commands did they ask for? They asked for one. Why does he give them two? 
Because you can't separate loving God and loving people. And this is the premise upon which everything else that we're going to talk about over the next two weeks is built. You cannot say that you love God and you don't love people. Because loving people is loving God. You can't separate them. He says, the second one's like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Everything else that is written down by God, all of it is all surmised in these two sentences. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else hangs on those two things. Now, there's a tension in this because you and I as people, we have a tendency to face these moments in our life where we get wounded by other people. Other people are difficult to love, right? Um, they're, they're hard to even like. <laughs> and for, you know, God calls us to this community, this relationship thing. And, and I'll, I'll say this. I just want to validate every fear that you've ever had. People will hurt you. They will take advantage of you. They will betray you. They will do all of that stuff. They will. They'll do all of it. And God says, love them anyway. Because if we as the community of God's people aren't going to be the models of unconditional love and grace, then who else is going to? Like, we're called to that. That's, that's us, right? But there's this tension in it because we have this tendency to want to either think about, think about things on an X and a Y axis. I got any engineers in the house? Like, you, you're going to love this next illustration. You'd be like, I totally got that. God spoke to me. <laughs> X and Y axis, right? You guys are like, so beautiful. We have this tendency to fall into one of two categories. Either we want to love God and, love, and we want to pour into a relationship with God and so we do our disciplines and we come to church and we learn and we listen to Christian radio and we listen, read Christian books and Christian magazines and we listen to sermons and Christian podcasts and da-da-da-da-da. And there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. Nothing wrong with any of it. The problem is that's not spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity will always call us back to a marriage of loving God and loving people. A marriage of those two things. So you can't say, you know, church would be great if it wasn't for the people. That's the running joke at every preacher convention you ever go to. You get a bunch of preachers together, somebody's going to run that joke. Church ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people, right? That's like... Marriage would be great if it wasn't for marriage, you know, like, it, do, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. That's not how this thing works. You can't only love God. And foundationally, the American church has misdefined what it means to walk with Jesus. If we are going to say that we love God, we are going to have to walk as Jesus walked. We're actually going to have to be really good at actually forgiving actual people in the actual real life. This Christian thing that we do is not about some glad morning when this life is o'er. I'll fly away, right? No, whatever happens after we die, I kind of wanted that to be a good thing, right? Like, yeah, but, but here's the deal. I need God right now, today. 
And the call of a follower of Jesus isn't to get yourself kind of morally figured out so that you can go to heaven one day. The call of a follower of Jesus is to bring the kingdom of God crashing into earth today. Today. And for every day, we work towards the redemption of all things here and now, which some Christians will say, well, what are you going to do that for? It's all going to burn up anyway. Maybe, but it doesn't change our call. It doesn't change our call from here till then. Until it burns, we restore it. That's our call. Now, on the other end of the spectrum is this loving people thing. And there are people who are like, somebody loved me and it changed my life. And so I am going to go love everybody. And that's wonderful, except they have no depth of character, no fortitude, spirit, no spiritual maturity. And so they wind up getting sucked into the world that they're trying to love people out of. That's not it either. That's not, that's not better either, because if you look just like the world in your attempt to draw people out, that doesn't work. So we do need to develop this piece of relationship with God. It's not an either or, it's a marriage of the two. Does that make sense? You cannot have one without the other. And so for us to say, well, I love people well, but I can't read my Bible. Eh. Or to say, I study the word. I'm in church every week. I'm in small group. I'm in ministry. I, I, I just went Pentecostal there for a minute. I, the, I'm in ministry. I'm in, <laughs> I'm in I'm, I serve the Lord. I'm, I've been in church 25. I don't care. If you don't love people well, you're not spiritually mature. You're not walking as Jesus walked. Does it make sense? It's, it's got to be a marriage of those two things. It's got to be a marriage of those two things. It's not an either or. And churches have a tendency based on who the pastor is to land on one side or the other. We got to find a way to merge those two. Amen. This is the tension that we live in if we're going to be a church that actually walks the mission of Christ well. And so um, I want to talk about this loving God piece. Peter had to figure this out, right? You remember Peter, uh, Jesus says, you're going to betray me. And he says, I would never betray you. I would die for you. And he says, you're going to betray me three times before a rooster crows. And then they go uh, to the trial and he does it and the rooster crows. And Luke points out that Jesus looks out a window right as the rooster crows and makes eye contact with Peter. Oh, right? Like that's a, that's a knife in the heart. By the way, um, if you come with me to Israel, we'll go where that most likely happened. Like, we'll recreate it for you. It's powerful. Uh, can't, I'm not a big square inch guy, but this one's pretty, pretty solid. So then Peter's like, man, I blew it. I'm out. I'm out. If, how many in here, don't raise your hand, have ever felt that way? Like, I, I've done, I've blown it too bad. It, some people have messed up, but I really blew it, and I guess, I guess I'm not useful anymore. I'm too far gone. We're like uh, Darth Vader. There is no turning back from the dark side of the force, right? So Peter goes back fishing, because that's what he knows. It's who he is. And so Jesus, you know the story, uh, John 21. By the way, if you come with me to Israel, we'll go here too. We know where this happened for sure. Um, 
we'll go there. We'll go there. Uh, you can hang out where Peter was restored. It's pretty powerful. Jesus is cooking uh, lunch on the shore. Peter runs through the water, which I'm like, man, it would be faster for you to just take the boat. Um, it's another, another st- sermon, I guess. Uh, they have lunch together, and then we have this conversation. So I want to look at John 21 here for a minute. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then feed my lambs. You love me? You love me, Peter? Go be on mission. Go love people well. Now, there's all kinds of speculation about why Jesus does this three times. Uh, Nobody knows for sure. God's keeps his own counsel on how many times he's supposed to say something. Some people have speculated, and this would be a very Jewish thing, some people have speculated that he does it three times, one time for each time that that Peter denied him. Okay, probable, plausible, could have happened that way. It could be just that Jesus really wanted to make a point. Could be. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. If you love me, go take care of business. Go love people well. Go do what you're supposed to be doing. If you fishing because you blew it is not loving me well, you avoiding ministry because you blew it, you avoiding walking with the Lord because you blew it, that is not serving God well. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go, which is... I I so want to play with that one, but I'm not going to. Um, This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God, which I love that statement. Do you think about how your death will glorify God? Or do you think about how to avoid death at all costs? What I love about this passage is that Jesus points out to Peter, yeah, you blew it, and you blew it big, and you blew it big in front of people, and it was bad. Like, you left me alone. But that doesn't change your call. Whatever God's called you to do isn't changed because you messed up. Even if you messed up real bad, it's not changed. That's what, remember that book of Romans we just came through, that big long series where we're like, ah, really heavy concepts. Remember what Paul says about your call? Your call is irrevocable. It doesn't change just because you made a bad choice. So Jesus says, look, yep, you blew it. Now, do you love me? Then let's get back in the game because there's still work to do. There's still stuff to get done. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, here's something that we all do. Peter turned in and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. By the way, who's the disciple whom Jesus loved? 
John, who's writing this? I love that. You know, Peter and Jesus were having this conversation, but I'm, I'm obviously his favorite. <laughs> I think it's funny. I, I just want you to know, I'm the one who laid back against his chest when we were at the dinner, me. I'm the one. Oh, and by the way, like read the account of Peter and John running to the empty tomb and they hear that it's, it's hilarious because John points out, and, and then the one whom Jesus loved ran ahead of him because Peter was old and slow. I mean, it just, it's hilarious. Like the whole, the whole play is hysterical. So Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one whom also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? How many times have you caught yourself comparing yourself to somebody else? Peter's like, well, what about him? What about them? 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 Here's what Jesus says. If this represented your problem, you could get over it. What's it to you if I want him to remain alive until I come back? Who cares about him? You fulfill your call. Stop worrying. And we do this all the time. Like, well, because they're not doing it, then I don't got to. I would, I would do my part. I would follow, I would, but so-and-so is not. So therefore, I don't have to. It's weird how you have such control over my relationship with God. Like, well, there's, I mean, life's so easy for them. Everything goes well for them. My life's so hard right? You know this. You know this conversation. Their life's so hard, you don't It's just not fair. It's not fair. I've told you guys this before, but fair, it's a four-letter F word. It is. Life isn't fair. And by the way, you don't want fair. That's not actually what you want. Fair is not what you want, on two levels at least, probably more. But if God was fair, we'd all be in trouble. If you got what, you actually, what was actually fair, it would be bad, right? I'm thankful for God's grace, which by definition isn't fair. Number two, you don't want fair, you just don't want someone else to be blessed more than you. I'm willing to be blessed more than other people. I mean, I will take it. I will suffer and be blessed more than you. But you, you better not be blessed more than me because that's not fair. How did they get, look at all the things I'm, look, look at, look at. You know, I, I, I watched when Michael Jordan scored 53 points in one basketball game. It was amazing. Like I'm not a huge NBA fan, but it was impressive. I mean, it was impressive. And like, he didn't score 53 points because nobody was guarding him. There was two and three defenders on him, which raises a question, why didn't he pass the ball? But, like, it wasn't, he wasn't three defenders. It's not fair. Nobody else has got three defenders guarding them. Why is their life so easy?
Listen to me. If you are going to spend your life complaining about what you don't have and what everybody else has, let me just be clear. Complaining, complaining is the number one tell about whether or not you will be successful in life. It's the number one tell. If somebody comes into me as uh, an interview, like a potential staff person, like we have a position open, they come in and interview for it, and they're a complainer, I wouldn't even consider them. Because nobody wants to be, God doesn't want to be around that. He sends snakes on people that complain. It's like, oh my word, I got all the grace in the world, but you're a complainer. Like, criticism isn't a spiritual gift. And some, pe- some people in the church believe they've got that, the spiritual gift of criticism. <laughs> <It's> a <laughs> That's funny. I don't care who you are. Stop complaining. Doesn't help anybody. And it only makes you, when you start comparing yourself to other people, you miss the call that God has on your life. What God is leading you to do is to love him by loving other people well. Get it done. That's our call. Even people who don't love you well back. Now, we have some implications here. We're going to talk about this, but we're going to move towards the table. And uh, so those of you that are passing out communion, I'd love for you to go back and grab that. We, we, have a, we take communion every week in our church, and for those of you that are new... Uh, we have what's called an open table. And what that means is if you're willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us, we would invite you to take communion with us. Um, we're going to hold all the elements till the end so that you can, uh, we, we can all take it together. But while they're passing that out, we're going to work through some implications. Now, there's a lots of implications for this, a lot. And I'm not going to talk about all of them. For some of us, maybe, the first implication is we need to go apologize to some people that we haven't been good with because we didn't love God well in the way that we treated them. Maybe that's it, but that's, I'm going to leave that between you and the Lord. First implication, the evidence of how well we love God is how well we love others. Look at John 13. This is a new commandment I give you. That's important. Love one another. By this, he says, go on, next slide. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He does not say, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples by your convincing apologetic arguments. I believe that the church in America has become a bunch of truth bullies. And we're so worried about being right that we've forgotten how to be godly. And it doesn't matter. You can be wrong and be godly and people can be inspired to be a part of the story you're telling. If you are wrong in a godly way, way. And we are so worried about being right that we've missed the point entirely. This is why 1 Corinthians 13, he says, look, I can speak with the tongue of men and angels. I can wax eloquent. 
I can understand all mysteries and have depth of knowledge and look at my huge brain, right? But if I don't have love, I'm a gong. I'm a clanging symbol. That's all I am. And for all of our knowledge, we haven't represented God well at all. Next implication. If in our learning we don't walk as Jesus walked, we haven't truly learned. Listen to me. Satan ascends to the mental truth of who Jesus is. Satan does that. He knows exactly who Jesus is. Followers of Jesus must walk as Jesus walked. And that changes the game dramatically. Look at 1 Corinthians 8. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So just a thought. When you're talking to other people, what are you trying to do? What's the net result of that conversation with them? Are you trying to build them up? Or are you trying to prove them wrong? Think about this. I mean, just for a let me let me throw a... Oh, I'm, out of, I'm running out of time. They have this little timer right here that says, don't go longer than this. I never watch it. All, yeah, all, all our children's ministry people are like, Aaron, watch the, watch the timer. Um, I don't remember what I was going to say anyway. So let's go. Next implication. Oh, parenting. Think about this. When, you're, when your child makes a mistake, when your child makes a mistake, when your spouse makes a mistake, is the goal of your conversation with them that they realize how wrong it was what they did? Or is the goal of your conversation that they don't ever do it again? Because the truth is, I can inspire you in all kinds of ways to a better way to live life without having to make you pay for wrong. I mean, just a thought. If we talk to our spouses maybe like this, what you did, like you're so much more than that. Like as I, as I see you, you're so much more powerful, so much more profound, so much more incredible than, than that. So when, when you did that, like it hurt me just because I believe in you so much more than that. Anybody in here go, no, nah, I don't want to be married to that. Now, I can tell you this, if you went, you're wrong and you hurt my feelings and you shouldn't do that and you don't love me because you always hurt my feelings and you don't care and I don't know you and I don't know if I ever did, blah, 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 right? You guys are like, wow, he's been in our living room. <laughs> no, I've been in my own living room. Uh, what I know is it's a completely different conversation. It's a completely different conversation. One inspires us to more, one keeps me in my place and makes me feel guilty for mistakes. 
I, I, I got to run through this. A place to start deepening our love for God is in being thankful. I want you to, uh, I, I want to give you a tangible thing, a thing. I don't want to get all technical on you. I want to give you a tangible thing to do this week to help start deepening your love for God, okay? So I want you to check this out, Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived uh, ever since the creation of the world and things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, now look at this, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God nor give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds, animals, and creeping things. And what we know, if you guys remember in the series, is this chapter one is kind of this degradation of humanity, like this trail that humanity walks to more and more and more and more moral corruption. Okay? And so... Uh, where does it begin? Where does it begin? For although they knew God, they neither acknowledged Him as God or gave Him thanks. You want to turn your life around? Be thankful. Because complaining is the quickest tell of whether or not you can be successful. Look at, look at Psalm 50. Uh, uh, the mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes, he does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire around him, a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. So here's what he's going to say to the faithful ones. You ready? The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. Here's what he says. Do you think I need your sacrifices? Of course not. I don't need you to bring me bulls and goats. I got like a million cows. I don't need yours. So why does he ask him to do it? If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world in its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Why do we got to make sacrifices? Because it keeps me thankful for God's provision. Now let's put that into real life practical today terms. You know why God asks you to tithe? Not because he needs your money. His streets are gold. Your streets are asphalt. I don't know if you know this, but asphalt has not quite got the market value of gold. He doesn't need your money. He never did. You know why he asked you to tithe? Because it's proof that you're thankful for you, 
It keeps you thankful for what the Lord has provided for you. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you're pleased with him and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free reign for evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. And the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Here's what God says in Psalm 50, which you should memorize. You should memorize the whole Bible, but start with Psalm 50. To the faithful, he says, it's not your sacrifices I need, it's the fact that you give them thankfully. And to the wicked, he says, the way to turn things around is to start by being thankful. Like, this isn't complicated. So here's what I want you to do. This week, every day, every day, I know that for most of you guys, the only thing that you know you're going to do every day is eat and sleep and wake up, <laughs> right? I want you to factor this in every day. I want you to find five people. And I want you to tell them something that you're thankful for for them, not what they do, but who they are. Something about who they are. I'll give you an example. When your spouse makes dinner, husband or wife makes dinner, don't go, thanks for making dinner. Because then I'm only good to you as long as I make dinner. Right? Say to them maybe something like this, thank you for loving me enough to take time out of your schedule to make sure that I had something to eat. That's a better statement. Five people, five people, every day. Not five times, five different people. Because I had somebody come up to me between service and try to blast me with five compliments, so I get it out of the way, right? <laughs> no, it worky. Five people every day this week. I want you to start being thankful for who they are, because when you do you love God well. What you're going to find is if you did that every day for a month, this would radically shift your perspective. Would radically shift your perspective. And God said it all the way back in the time of David. Communion time is an opportunity for us to be thankful. And I know for many of us, when we approach communion time, we're kind of wrecked because we're like, man, I sinned and there's all this mess and Jesus laid his life down, all this stuff. I think today, maybe we ought to focus on this truth. I'm so thankful that I have a God that loves me this much. I'm so thankful that I have a God who thinks that grace 
is more important than fair. And I'm so challenged and inspired by the opportunity he gave me to partner with him in that message in the world. This reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Lord, thank you for calling us up to more. Thank you for believing in our potential. Thank you that your grace is enough. And Lord, I pray that as your followers, we become models of that truth in the lives of other people. Lord, thank you that um, you've invited us to bring your kingdom crashing into earth. God, find us faithful. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this message from Real Life. If you have any questions or feedback about this sermon, send us an email at comment at liferotp.com. You can also connect with us at our website, Facebook, and on Twitter.